Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the 905er podcast. My name is Roland Tanner. I am Joel McLeod. We pay attention to politics in reverse proportion to the extent it actually affects our lives. The political junkies among us may religiously watch Power and Politics on CBC and have complex and well-informed opinions about what's going on this week in Ottawa, but the same political junkies may struggle to remember the name of their city councillor. And if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt who your regional councillor is, or more precisely, what exactly your regional councillor does with their time, well, congratulations, because you probably work in regional government. And I can say with a complete confidence that even many candidates actually running for election as city or regional councillors are pretty unclear about what exactly regional government does. And what about your school board trustee? Would you recognise your trustee if you saw them in the street? Do you even know who you voted for to be your trustee in 2018? And yet at both city and regional councils, councillors make decisions that affect our lives every single day in a way that federal government seldom does. Think about it, the biggest federal stories in recent years have been the Wee and Jody Wilson-Raybould controversies. Whatever you think about those stories, they were at their root issues that have very little direct effect on our lives. Government contracts with a charity and a legal dispute with a Montreal engineering firm. That's not to say that those stories weren't important, they were. But in the last six months in the 905 er we've spoken to people whose lives are being directly affected by decisions made in council chambers and on school boards, positively and negatively. We've seen democratic reforms reversed, public health undermined, racism ignored. We've discussed poverty and basic incomes in the face of house price increases, road building and greenbelt protection, and we've repeatedly looked at issues in our schools which affect us all directly, which are not always being handled in the most competent way by school board trustees. We've seen 10,000 people march in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Here where, where we live, we've seen deeply troubling behaviour towards citizens from elected officials in Hamilton. In so many ways, local politics deserves far more attention than it gets. But to follow local politics, we need to understand local politics. One of the things Joel and I have come to understand in recent years is the extent to which the image and reality of what councils and councillors do two very different things. A council is not just a scaled-down version of the provincial or federal government. Councillors are actually surrounded by a much more constrained set of rules, which can seem, rightly or wrongly, to make it difficult for them to do the things we actually think we're electing them to do. This dichotomy between the real and imagined job of local government politicians is something we wanted to explore further. To do so, we invited on Councillor Shauna Stolte from Burlington. Councillor Stolte represents Burlington's Ward 4, where she was elected for the first time in 2018, and seating a councillor who had held the seat since the 1980s. As a new councillor, she's experienced the steep learning curve that all newly elected politicians face, and experienced both the rewards and the frustrations of the difficult business of getting stuff done in local government. This is not a political interview. It's not about policies or decisions, or talking about successes or defending failures. It's an interview about understanding what it's like to be a municipal politician from a municipal politician's perspective. Because we think to have better local government, we first need to understand much better how local government actually works. Welcome to the podcast, Councillor Shauna Stolte. Uh, just before we get going, I'll just mention, I mean, uh, Shauna is, uh, well, Councillor Stolte, I should say, but Shauna, to me, is someone I got to know during the 2018 election when I was a candidate myself. Uh, and we uh, had several coffees during that time, and 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 really, I mean, I'll be completely frank: is 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 a friend uh, more than a local politician to me at this point. Um, and this interview today is is uh, something we've been wanting. Joel and I have been wanting to do for a long time too. Uh, not a political interview about what have you been doing um, as a councillor or what has council been doing, but the. Contrast between, I think, what many people think the job of a councillor is and how a municipality works and what it's actually like. Uh, that, um, uh, you know, I, I tend to think of it as that people think of councillors as being like, um, you know, the mayor is the prime minister of the city and the councillors are the cabinet or the, or the government. And it's not exactly like that. Um, so, uh, 
maybe we can just start off, uh, Shauna, with with um, your experience of of kind of running for council. What what you thought it would be like? Uh, kind of what attracted you to the job, and um, and and what you what's kind of surprised you most in in your first two years as a councillor or two and a half years now, I guess. Okay, well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me on today. We have had, Roland, uh, a lot of chats, yourself and I, and Joel, I'm happy to be able to have a chat with you as well. I thoroughly Fantastic. enjoy listening to the podcast, so it's great to be part of it. Um, uh, do you know, it's, it's try and be succinct, because it's a bit of a long story, not a long story, it's just a bit of a uh, roundabout story. Uh, getting into politics is actually not something I really ever thought about doing. Uh, my background is social work. So my background was always about grassroots community development. Um, I held a number of different positions during my career of 30 years as a social worker, but it was always about uh, helping to empower people, to make sure that people felt as though they had a voice in their life and that they had some control over their world and that they were empowered to make changes in their life, to make their life better and their quality of life better. And it was during some uh, volunteer work that I was doing that it was brought to my attention, you know, that uh, I was well aware of the fact that the next municipal election was coming around. So these conversations were happening probably in 2017. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, the conversation started to come around about, you know, that I had have done a lot of groundwork as far as helping to, to encourage policy at the municipal level and at the regional level. And would I consider getting more engaged by possibly running for council and bringing some or more of the issues to the forefront and being part of that conversation on a different level? And it just truly felt like the next steps. So it was something that after doing some research and talking to some councillors in other municipalities and just kind of digging in a little bit more about what I thought the job might entail, I thought, yes, this actually could be a really interesting next step as far as being a part of the conversation and get to be um, a more active part of the decision making. So that's what inspired me to want to be part of it was to be that intermediary, that mediator, the the person to bring a voice to and help to continue to empower the community. And that's what inspired me to want to run. Um, wasn't entirely sure as a first term counselor or a first term income or a candidate uh, that that would be successful, but it ended up being successful, which is a, was a very pleasant surprise. And uh, I must say, probably the biggest surprise to me was the steep learning curve that was in front of me as a new counselor. Um, there's one thing for sure, and that is that uh, perhaps once you've been in council for many terms or many years, you can, you know, do it a little bit more along with other things. But any first-term counselor who's able to work another job alongside this, I don't know how they do that because it is definitely a full full-time job if you want to do it well. And you, you know, we have pretty big wards in in Burlington. I have almost forty thousand constituents in Ward Four, and that's a lot of voices to try to bring forward. It's a lot of voices to try and balance. And to uh, acknowledge that you're never going to please everybody because for every two people who I have who want um, plan A, there are just as many people who think plan A is not a good idea and they want plan B or plan C or plan D. So there is a lot of mediation work, which I love about it. Um, but the learning curve to realize just how complicated, how necessary complicated and how unnecessarily complicated municipal the municipal world is and how to run a community was quite a shock. I must were, say that was a shock. Were you were you politically active prior to running? Like I know you you worked in social work uh, the social work field beforehand, but were you were you the, were you the type of person who would go down to city hall uh, in the evening and and sign a petition or go to council meetings or or and the like just to say I want my voice heard or or to work with your your neighbors to get something done on that on that front. Um, I am more of a behind the scenes person. So I think my political activism was to uh, be more behind the scenes and to push. I did certainly get more engaged uh, through 2016 and 2017, actually probably 2017, 2018, getting more down into City Hall and yes, getting much more engaged. The uh, private tree bylaw, Burlington's private tree bylaw was something that I, the first time I delegated in front of council, that's what it was in regards to. So yes, I had become much more willing and comfortable getting a little bit more upfront and vocal about the changes that I personally as a resident was hoping to see happen in the city. Now, one of the things that um, has struck me that I've learned uh, since 2018 is that um, there are quite a lot of legal restrictions on what 
councillors can do. And when I, when I say legal restrictions, um, not just uh, not just things like you know you're not allowed to be corrupt, which obviously you know um, you're not meant to take, you're not allowed to, take, but things I like hope, I hope that's um, an obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but things like um, you can't go for a coffee with um, you can maybe do it with one other councillor, but you can't as a group you can't go and have meetings with councillors easily. You are quite you're very constrained about the ways in which you can even talk to your colleagues. Um, because that's perceived as potentially, um, I don't know what the phrase would be, you, well, you may know. But Furthering I know, bro- the business of the city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's I, I would have always assumed that, that councillors are constantly talking to each other, that you're, you, you work in offices right next door to each other, and you, in an ideal world, you're friendly and you're uh, uh, collegial. But there's actually huge barriers, and even actually, actually, do that. Do you, do you, did that surprise you as much as it surprised me to hear? And do you think it's helpful ultimately? It that was. I'm glad you brought that up, Roland. That was a huge surprise. That was one thing. Not knowing the inner workings of how things worked on the seventh floor outside of the council chamber, I was fully expecting when I came into council. I fully expected and was wanting to promote us having our weekly team meetings, as I saw it. I thought that that was how a lot of the work of the city would get done, is that we would, as a council, sit in the boardroom on the seventh floor at least once a week together and kind of hash out some of these things. In hindsight, that was naive because that is not how the work of the city should be done. The work of the city has to be done in front of the public. Those conversations have to happen in front of the public. So, yes, that surprised me on the first day on the job, but I very quickly came to realize that while it does hinder conversation and it is frustrating sometimes because it would be easier to work out some of these issues and policy changes and so on, you know, kind of sit in a room and hash it out to do that behind closed doors, literally, which is what's not allowed is a good thing. It's a very good thing. It's vital to democracy as far as ensuring that those conversations don't happen. So it's called not furthering the business of the city behind closed doors to ensure the transparency. So you're right, we're not allowed to have what's called quorum. So quorum is the majority of council. So I mean that, that that kind of flies in the face of conventional wisdom because the, the I, I've, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the majority of our listeners um, are familiar with the ongoings out at Queens Park and on Parliament Hill. They're they're used to tuning into whatever the news of the day is there, and they'll they'll watch. Um, I think most people would, would in recent memory would think of, um, especially at, at, on Parliament Hill, uh, the the. The committee hearings right now on um, on we the we charity scandal the we the we scandal from this past year and before that you had uh, the the uh, hearings with Jody Wilson Raybould and and all that and the idea was that you heard we had, there was all these conversations happening outside of Parliament you had uh, back bench and uh, not back uh, staffers meeting with other staffers and meeting with MPPs and and cabinet ministers to discuss the business of governing and to the majority of people that that's the that's the image that they have of that's how government is done is that you're elected you're going to meet with other members of the elected officials and say listen you know i want this done what do you, what i'll get my vote for this you vote for that and we all get something in the in the end the fact that that's not what happens at the municipal level is i think going to be shocking to a lot of listeners i mean i think a lot of people say that's I understand that you're where you're saying you want to, you want to preserve the integrity of democracy and the open transparency, but I mean, like there are a lot of people who are going to be listening saying that's not even how business is done. Business is done behind closed doors. Now, not even by closed doors. It's I need to have a coffee with you because we need to hammer out these details. I need I need I need to persuade you to 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 vote or to side with me, or we need to I need to give you something so I get something in return. And there are a lot of people who are saying what how more much more efficient would we our government be if they were able to just have these conversations say, listen, I want a, you want B let's find a way to make this happen. Uh, you know, is there like, it, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Don't get me wrong. There's certainly plenty of times where one or two of us will connect on things like that for sure. Those conversations definitely happen. I think the idea being though, is that we are never in a position where we're meeting all seven of us in a room without anyone else there. The only time that the seven of us are together is in council chamber and that has to be in public unless we are, you know, declare and vote to go into closed session behind closed doors. And that's only for 13 very specific legal reasons that are outlined in the Municipal Act. 
So there will be plenty of times, especially before COVID, when we would be on the seventh floor and, you know, the counselor from Ward 2 would come down and we would have a conversation in my office. So we would certainly hash things out. You just, it was kind of funny in the first um, couple of months probably of our council term, because given the fact that five of the seven of us were brand new and we were just getting the hang of how all that you know, decision-making worked, where there would be three of us, two people would, two counselors would come into another counselor's office. And as soon as the fourth counselor came down the hall, we were all like, oh, time out, we can't be doing this. We can't have more than the majority of us. So there could never be four of us having a conversation about city business before that was constituted as a meeting. And that falls with emails as well. We can't discuss things as a group over email and talk about, oh, you know, this issue's coming forward at committee next week, and what do you think? And how, you know, we can't have those conversations even over email because that's considered a meeting, and a meeting needs to be open in front of the public. So that was that was a big, and I agree with you, Joel. There were times where I was thinking, oh, this we could be much more efficient if we could work out a lot of this stuff ahead of time. So even I, it took me a, a little bit to realize just the, the the philosophy, I guess, the political philosophy behind keeping it all open and transparent so that the public can hear those debates and can hear the pros and cons. And it has become, and I know this is not a political conversation, I do not want to get into it, but there have been issues that have come up as of late that have helped me to understand a lot more about the dangers of going into closed session and how that has to be treated so, so, so carefully to make sure that we're never using it as an opportunity to uh, just talk about sensitive issues that we don't want to have to talk about in public. That is not what it's there for. It's there for very prescribed reasons, and we need to be willing and able to talk about sensitive issues in public, because that's part of the making of the sausage, as they say. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, you know, we know that municipal politics in Canada is is not uh, partisan, that there's, there's, there's no parties. And, and what maybe we don't understand, I certainly didn't grasp in the, uh, as clearly in the past, is that not only do you can you not say I'm a member of Party X and I'm working on their behalf with, um, but it, it goes to that level of you can't cooperate, you can't behave like a party in a non-party context, um, and, and it, it seemed it seemed to me, and speaking to a, a number of people over the last couple of years, um, that the job could actually be much lonelier than you might think. I mean, just on a, on a completely human level, uh, surprisingly, you know, you don't have a big staff. You have uh, you have an assistant, um, and in the past, Burlington councillors didn't even had that. They they had to share um, sort of assistance between them. Um, uh, it's not like you have a huge team where you know you you are a party of one kind of thing. Uh, have you f- found that? And um, I mean, how how do you handle those, those that kind of? Well, how, how do you handle how how do you deal with that kind of challenge? You're absolutely right. It is more isolating than I would have thought it would have been. As I said at the beginning, I with I was thinking that we were going to be having these big group team meetings and that we were going to be working as a collective team a lot more than what it turns out is, you know, reasonable and 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 done through the municipal act and so on, which is which is for all good reason. Um, yeah, and for a while there, I didn't even have an assistant. So it, it's much better now that I have my wonderful assistant, Nancy. Shout out to Nancy. <laughs> Nancy and I are a team of two. Um, you do end up kind of establishing relationships like you would in any other workplace where you've got pe- you know colleagues who you're closer to and who you kind of align your thoughts are more in line with. So I just certainly do have my council colleagues who I tend to connect with more often. I think everybody's feeling a little bit more isolated with the whole COVID thing. One thing that I really enjoyed before COVID hit, which I'm sure everybody can relate to, is I loved door knocking. And that's how I really didn't at the beginning feel too much isolation because I was out in the community. I loved those front door chats where I would knock on the door and just say, okay, talk to me. You know, what What do you need? What's working? What's not working? Talk to me about your neighborhood. Talk to me about the city. And I loved those connections. Those There's a term for it. I wish I could remember what it is, but there's a term for just those um, connections that you have through your daily life with maybe the barista at your local coffee shop or the, you know, where they're not heart to heart conversations with your spouse or your kids. They're just more that level of social interaction where you're just genuinely connecting with random people on what's important to them or what's going on in their life. And it's probably a part of um, being a counselor that reminded me a bit of social work where, you know, I could talk to people about what's working for you, what's not working for you, and how can I help in a nutshell. 
that was it. And I liked that level of interaction and that's been missing with COVID, which is hard and isolating. I can imagine it's it, it, the job of a, of a city councilor has got to be a far more unique one uh, compared to other elected officials. Uh, most because no offense to you and the other counselors around 905. You don't, you don't have, you don't have Uh-oh. a lot of media presence um, for, for a very reason. I mean, if you think about it, most of the media, uh, uh, minutes, if you will, are taken up by, you know, you have the federal level and even still that's predominantly, you know, the prime minister and like the leader of the opposition. Then you have uh, provincially, same as premier, leader of the opposition, maybe a minister, depending on what story of the day is, is in the headlines. And then you have your mayors. Beyond that, nobody really approaches, uh, rarely do you hear about a, a municipal councillor making news. I found, because uh, you know, Roland and I have had a background in, in politics and whatnot, a lot of the time you're you're counting on the media to get your message out there or to connect with your constituents. And I can imagine the irony is like you can't re- necessarily rely on those channels to communicate to people. I mean, you say you say so yourself. You have forty thousand constituents that you respond that are looking to you. You can't just go and be like, oh, I'm going to advertise it or or whatever have you. Um, I'm wondering, like, this is a kind of a long-winded way of of explaining my my, my point, but can you maybe go into like the difficulties that a city councilor would have, and just getting in touch with your constituents and hearing what they want, what they want to, um, what they want to advocate for at city hall, because it's not as if you can just go and have like a, uh, you know, this is what we're doing, and you have one two-way communication. You only you do have just one assistant. Uh, you don't have an office in your ward that you can sit at and people come in and hand their, their problems to you. Um, I do, though. I do, do you have, have an office? Of my word. Not literally, but I created one. I created really? one at Denninger's Coffee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, well, I mean, okay, but that, for I mean, COVID, I had it every Saturday morning. I would sit in the local coffee shop and say to people, come, here I am, come to me. <laughs> and how'd that go? Oddly enough, that's how, um, uh, just uh, one of my tangents here, oddly enough, that's pretty much how it works in Britain at, MP, at MP level, they don't. Ha- most of them do not have offices. They they will have what they call a surgery, uh, which is pretty much what exactly what you would do when people would come. Um, it's one of those strange differences, but um, uh, certainly uh, um, you did it during, during you started doing it during the election. I tried to copy you <laughs> with, with very poor amounts of success. Um, I think you did much better, which t- probably tells its own story. Uh, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's and you mentioned that that still going door to door aspect. So was that something you were doing that kind of still almost knocking on doors at random, or are these doors you were going to because someone had contacted you about an issue? The door knocking was more at random. I was determined to get around the ward, so I just had my big map and I would highlight where I'd been and where I still needed to go. Um, that's, I mean, that's awesome, and I love doing that. It does take a lot of time. It's not the most efficient way to get to people who have pressing issues. So it's a mix of everything. And you're absolutely right, Joel. We don't have the opportunity to have a voice in the media. Um, I'm not a huge, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a huge person for wanting to put out a global message. I would rather. Um, target my messaging to who I really want to hear it. So what I've been trying really hard to do is I've been kicking a bit old school. Roland knows that (laughs) I'm of an age where I'm right at that age where I'm absolutely willing to use all the newfangled technology, but I'm also still a firm believer that we have a lot of people who like to pick up something on paper and read it that has arrived in their mailbox. So I'm one of the few counselors I think who still sends out and I do that three or four times a year where I'll send out just a one page black and white. I keep it as simple as possible, but it's basically a a little newsletter and I send it out to every single news, every single mailbox in my ward. But what's also on that is saying, if you'd like to get information more regularly, please sign up for my e-newsletter because the e-newsletter I'll send out at least once a month. And then I also send out news blasts like through COVID I've been sending out at the beginning, it was a couple times a week. Now it's probably, probably once every two weeks in between. So on the off two weeks from my newsletter, I'll send out a news blast just to make sure people know that, you know, as of today, 70, 70 year olds can now register for the vaccine, like if there's any ever pressing news. And I now have I'm closing on about 1500 households 
So of households, that represents what times an average of three or four people in a household. So I'm so far getting to thousands of residents in Ward 4 through that, which is awesome. And I keep trying to encourage people to let your neighbor know. And every month that I send out a newsletter, I'll get more and more requests in to, yes, please add my name to the list. So I like that because it's kind of targeted because I can only... I'd love to get information out across the city, but that's not my job to take care of the other wards. I need to make sure that people in my ward try to find out what they need to find out. And then I hold the, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Dave Meslin, who, who we had on the podcast a few months ago, one of his points he made that had never occurred to me is that it's kind of crazy that different levels of government just don't, as a matter of course, have everybody's email address for communication at a non-partisan level, you know, the necessary communication that needs to happen. We don't have that. You know, we're used to the government has our phone numbers, the government has our home addresses, and they need that to tell us about important things. But those are really expensive and time-consuming methods of, of, of getting information out. It costs nothing to send an email, or virtually nothing. Um, and yet no one's ever said, hey, should we just have like a register of everybody's, you know, and that, that can be properly controlled so that the email addresses, email lists are not abused. But, uh, it's so, the one thing I do know from all the political kind of um, volunteering and, and stuff that I've done over the years is how difficult it is at every level of government to reach the people you're serving. Um, you... Uh, you, know, you can literally go and knock on people's doors, which is why people still do that, um, at a, particularly at elections, because people will answer the door. But more and more people have those ring things. So they see someone they don't recognize, they're not answering the door. You can send a flyer. Well, how many flyers go straight into junk, particularly in um, apartment blocks? Uh, you know, the, Often the people you need to reach most are the people least likely to read those things. Um, you can make a phone call, but no one likes automated phone calls and no one particularly likes, um, well, you know, it's, that's a problematic route as well. So, uh, and then you can try and go through the media, but our media in Canada and across the world has, has collapsed in the last 20 years. So it's, you cannot under, it seems to me anyway, you cannot underestimate how difficult it is to, uh, for a, for a good, uh, politician at any level to kind of do their job of communicating, of both listening and uh, uh, you know sending out information that people need to hear, um, and yet we have this system in email that could do that so easily, basically <laughs> as close to no cost as as kind of uh, possible to imagine. No, I mean it's, it's, just, it's almost a side issue. But do, do you do you, you you feel those challenges in communication with with, and you can see how misunderstandings kind of arise very often between constituents and politicians when you know the, the kind of cliche that then politicians don't listen to us is because people feel that there's no way to they don't feel the welcome to necessarily approach their their representatives and then they don't hear anything coming back in the other direction either and that goes, seems to go to a root of a whole load of problems that we have as a society in in, in the kind of uh, negative view of of, of uh, politics as as a profession and the people who go into it and all those other things that's a long and rambling comment rather than a question but um uh uh does that kind of reflect your your uh, experience over the last two years? Yeah. And all it took about six months ago, I'm going to say, is I got an email from a gentleman who the, the tagline at the top of the email said, do you even exist? And I was like, what? And I opened it up and he said, I voted for you and I've heard hide no hair of you since. And I'm like, oh my goodness. So despite the door knocking, I just maybe well, I just, he didn't happen to be home when I knocked on his door, despite the mail out, like you said, maybe inadvertently went in or purposely went in the recycling, not knowing what it was, or just not being in the mood to read it. And the coffee chats at Steninger's or the e-newsletters going out, all the efforts we make. And to your point, Joel, it would be wonderful if there was more of a media presence where we just need every single possible way we can try and communicate because everybody receives their information differently. And to get that one email six months ago for him to say, "You, you disappeared, I voted for you and you disappeared, it broke my heart because I'm trying really hard to not disappear. I don't want to be that, but. Well, I, I think that goes to kind of something that I, I, I'm aware of is that a lot of people just are unaware of who their city councilor is. And not just in, in Burlington, but I think any municipality in the province, definitely in the 905, you say who, who represents you in city hall. 
and they're going to they're going to rhyme off the mayor, whoever the mayor is of their of their town. Bonnie Crombie, Fred Eisenberg, Marianne Meadward, whomever. It's like, no, no, no. That's not who represents you. Like, who's your counselor? Who's 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 like who's going to advocate for your park at the end of the road to to get a facelift or you know the pothole you know that needs to be fixed on your street? Who who are you going to call? And I, I've always found that that interesting. That a number number of times people just say, I don't know. Um, because what what I know that I've had my my family's tried to contact City Hall to address a number of issues that we've had, um, not this term but previous terms, and we contact both the mayor and our counselor, and surprise surprise, like both seem to get on it. it, it which I embrace my, my next point is when without getting into detail, how like how how tight is. Are, I imagine most of your, your complaints are kind of retail issues, you know, fix a pothole. I want a park bench fixed. I want traffic light doesn't seem to be working, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't seem like it's something that you really, my experience has been city hall is that you contact one and it, it kind of like all six kind of figure it out and, and get it done. Is it, is it, that's, is that correct in my, my thinking is that it's just kind of all, everyone's like, yeah, we got each other's back. Oh, uh, this is simple. We'll just pass it on to parks and rec department or the city city department uh, building department it'll get fixed there um because I, I i can't think of how many issues that are specific to a certain ward that are very unique to that ward um you know mo- most of the decisions are kind of city centric um which I, I have a follow-up i have a follow-up to that that i'll follow up with but i just want you to answer kind of comment on that one it's not a bad thing <laughs> Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I, I'm interested. I'm intrigued by your question because you're right. Most issues are citywide. Um, I think there's, but a people's experience is their issue is very local. Mm-hmm. So their their experience is is that it's that literally it's the crack in the sidewalk in front of their house that they are most concerned about. So I, I think as I was listening to your question, I think what was coming to me too was that. That is another surprise, and it maybe should not have been. But is that you would think that a crack in a sidewalk should be something that a councillor or the mayor or whoever's able to kind of take point on that issue when it comes in can, you know, lob it over to the appropriate department and the crack gets fixed and you move on. That was a big surprise is, is how is the bureaucracy at City Hall and the, the speed at which even the smallest things take so long and mm-hmm. I don't think that would be a surprise for listeners to hear because they've experienced that. And that's a lot of what we get back at council is, okay, I've had to call the city four times on this, what seems to be a very small little issue. Why is it taking so long? Why isn't it resolved? And it's that's a big part of the frustration. And that, that's not about city staff. For the most part, that is not about city staff. That's about decades and decades of bureaucracy and process and procedure layered upon layered upon layered upon layered where it shocked me how many people and how many layers and how many protocols you have to go through to get even the smallest thing done. That is frustrating to so many people to hear because they're thinking like, it's a crack in my sidewalk. I just You just need to have one guy in a truck or two people in a truck come over, mix some cement, patch it up, put some pylons, say, don't walk for a week until or a day until it dries move on. It doesn't, or most, some people are thinking right now, they're listening to saying, I could fix it myself. If I, I can go down to Home Depot, grab the cement, fix it myself. And that's frustrating. And if I, what I get frustrates me as somebody like we've been talking a lot about development on this podcast, I'm not going to get into the, the, the nitty gritty about Burlington's development, but I would say development is not a ward by ward issue as much as people want to think it is. Um, People want to think like, oh, they're going to put a high-rise condo in my in my neighborhood. I'm in order, so I'm going to call Shauna Stolte and I'm going to give her one two, and I'm going to tell her you're going to vote against it because I'm your you you work for me. Uh, uh, and yes, I've heard that. Yeah, <laughs> but that that is such a my my myopic view of the issue because I imagine you and your other counselors are also thinking, well, we, we need people to live in Burlington. Burlington as a whole have to, has to be attractive to families coming in here. And we want the families that are here to stay here to contribute to the economy, build businesses, city life, all that good stuff. But the plant, like the stuff that matters in city hall, like planning, where are we going to put, where are we going to have people live? Where are they going to work? 
is not something that can be done on a ward by ward issue because you can say, well, you're gonna you're gonna live in ward one, but you might work in ward five. You're, the shop you own is gonna be in ward five, right? And that's kind of where I was, that's kind of where I was coming back to the, my original comment on or how we we're talking about um, you're not allowing to talk to each other outside of city council business uh, because city council is only your your meet in the city council room what for a couple hours once. Uh, once once a month, it's more than a couple, but <laughs> okay. But but on the yeah, agenda, know, we have five yeah. different committees a month. But yes, these are really complex issues, and I find I I find it shocking. I understand you don't want city councilors to be corrupted by the the abuses of power, but the fact is, I, I do think like city councilors need to be able to sit down and say, okay, if we build a if we build a, a, a subdivision in my ward. Where, how are we going to get, you know, the supermarkets and the, the, the places to buy stuff close by? Do we have to change bylaws and, and whatnot? And that's, th- these issues are so complicated. And I find that when you're, when you have to deal with the, the new, the, the, my own, the other stuff of dealing with the bureaucracy to get sidewalk cracks filled, it's, I can see why people are frustrated with city hall, not, not necessarily Burlington's, but all city halls across the 905 that, the the big issues that need to be addressed aren't getting addressed because we're stuck with this my this bureaucracy that's layered as you said years and years of being layered upon layered upon layer, and you have these rules saying well yeah you can't talk about these issues not not unless you're on the record and you have cameras on you and I I find I'm I'm I find that it's it's one of these like there's too many safety nets I guess it, it might be the the, the way that it's it's just we're we're so afraid of politicians that we can't let you guys do what you need to do. It's kind of what I'm saying. If you want to comment on that or just chime in, am I, am I, am I, am I being well, I just, hyper, I just hyperbolic want to be here? Clear. We do, we do talk off. We do talk outside of chambers. We just can't be making decisions. And as soon as there's a majority of us, it's considered making decisions outside of the chamber. So we do have tons of conversations. Don't get me wrong. And I think a lot of the conversations that you're talking about, like, you know, where are we going to put housing? Where's the best place? I mean, we're just starting the housing strategy. That's something that's really exciting that is finally happening in Burlington is we're finally getting going with our inaugural housing strategy. And that's exactly what it's about. It's about how are we going to make sure that there are all different forms of affordable housing for all different situations, young families, older adults, you know, middle age, single people, large families, all sorts of different variations. As many different families as there are, we almost need to have that many different options because everybody's situation is so different. We do have lots of those conversations outside. And what we do, and that's that's learning the difference too, that took a little bit of my map wrapping my head around because being on council is more like being on a board of directors where our job isn't to figure out the nitty gritty of how it's going to work. Our job is to kind of set strategy. So we would talk amongst ourselves and I had some really great conversations with my colleagues one-on-one and with the mayor and so on about how important it was that we pushed for the strategy of making sure that we came up with a conversation about housing and actually came up with a housing strategy. And then our job is to take it back to staff and either have a conversation that staff are already part of and ongoing or to create what's called a staff direction where we're basically giving staff literal direction to say, we need you to start a project on a housing strategy. And then more of the conversations after that are between us and staff as we start to kind of mesh through what is all that going to look like. And then staff start go and do all of their work. And we, I mean, I've been meeting with staff about the housing strategy for almost a year now, and none of that has come to council. That's been about my background and my interest in the topic and talking with staff. And then they go away and they do a ton of their work and then they come back and kind of check in. And then when it gets to a point where staff's ready to put forward a report, that's when they come to council. And that's when the group of us have an opportunity in committee to hear where has it gotten to and and start kind of hashing out now how does that meet match with the strategy that we had in mind and where are we going to move it forward from this point so it just it takes kind of a series of different paths before it gets to something that's actually effective but that's really different at a high level strategy than when you're talking about getting a crack fixed in a sidewalk that is that should be simple and that's the stuff that is mired under the decades of procedural uh, bureaucracy and that's where we need to do a lot of work to to create more efficiencies and just that's that's going at a management level to say okay enough is enough it should not take 
seven emails to get that crack filled. And that's not about staff not doing their job. That's about allowing staff to do their job and not making it hard for them by them having to jump through too many hoops for it to get done. And it's about making sure that we have resourced the departments properly. If we're asking staff to get on something within a certain timeline, but we only give them half the amount of staff to be able to effectively do that, then that goes back to us as the board of directors slash council to figure out and to resource properly so that staff can actually implement the strategy that we want them to. uh, It's it's a really important point you made there about that, which I, I, it, clarifies it in my mind that's kind of the the actually i mean i first became sort of aware of this um as, as a relatively new immigrant to canada at that point and i was on a committee uh, the co-chair of which was walter markovich formula who's a former mayor of burlington uh, and also involved well the person who created that committee was the current mayor at that time who was uh, cam jackson um and in the very first meeting we had uh uh walter um explained the kind of weak mayor system to us all. And I think uh, probably because he'd been through this so many times before, people expecting things to be possible that are not possible. Now, um, Walter uh, will probably be more more uh, defensive of, this, of the status quo, not status quo in a negative sense, but of, of the system that, that he was mayor under um, that, than I might be because I think I'm such an impatient and, and short-tempered person sometimes that uh, I, I find it kind of frustrating that it's like you're the guys who are elected. Um, you should be able to... Uh, get things done without uh, a, a an inordinate amount of struggle. Um, but like you say, I mean, my experience of, of the kind of way City Hall works um, is that um, at its best, there are some fantastic, wonderful, talented people working at every City Hall in Ontario. Um, uh, really smart people who really know what they're doing, doing great work. Burlington has at lots of those. Absolutely. I have no doubt. And I know I've never met a, a member of staff at any city hall who wasn't delightful to me, uh, polite, uh, and uh, uh, in every apparent way wishing to be helpful. Um, but what you would then find sometimes was that a kind of feeling that every department was pulling in a slightly different direction. Um, that And there is a a natural inertia against change that develops in, in I think, any institution, um, but which can be particularly strong in government institutions, that people, you know, no one's getting paid more for doing something risky. Um, so there's a, do we really need to do this? Well, we need to think about all the problems that might happen if we do do it. And then you have, you know, five years of discussions and, and, and you end up with what you had to start with. Do you perceive that as somewhat a problem? Again, there's nothing personal about anybody. And I'm, I'm not speaking about Burlington. I'm talking about the general situation that I, I suspect exists in many cities. Um, it, does that sound like a, a fair comment, though? Yes. Yes, that sounds like a fair comment. And I don't know if I'm using the term bureaucracy in the right way, but that is exactly what I think of when I use the term bureaucracy. It's just those unnecessary layers and layers and layers that get in the way of really good people doing a good job. And, and it's, a sh- it's a shame, I think. Um, uh, it, it, so much good work is lost because of cautiousness. Uh, and it's not an individual cautiousness. It's not, it, isn't peop- it isn't a single person who you can point to, I, I don't think, as a rule, and say, that person screwed X up. It's 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 the way institutions, particularly institutions, have been around for a very long time that are constrained by all kinds of laws and other levels of government. I mean, goodness knows, you know, going through the whole the, official plan the, process. The, the problem it, is somebody somebody at some point screwed up on something, and so somebody said, "Hey, we need to make a rule <laughs> to prevent this," and they did, but they didn't start to think, "Hey, if we're adding one rule, we should take another rule away." Right, like, it's right. Just, someone just adding on, like, oh my gosh, this mistake happened. Okay, well, let's make a. This is going to be the policy, and this is going to be the protocol. Great, that's what's done now. But nobody thought about, hey, wait a minute, let's. Does this mean? Does this mean we have to have an extra fl- floor on at City Hall because there's a whole other level of bureaucracy that you have to go? I as a, as a side note, um, as an exact perfect example of this, years ago, uh, I owned a small business in Oakville. And I had to go get my business license and all that stuff from the town of Oakville Town Hall. Why it's called a town hall? It's a city 
to the day I die, it will forever be a city. Sorry, <laughs> uh, I know, but anyways, so I had to go to I had to go to town hall and go in and start talking. So I go to the city clerk's uh, office, and I'm like, "Hi, I'm here. I want to register my business." Da, 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 da. And like, okay, you have to go to the finance department and pay your fee. Okay, can I just do that here? No, you have to go across the hall to go talk to the finance department. So, okay, so I literally like walk across the floor, walk into another office, and like, oh no! Before we process this, we need to get um, this other form. Well, can I just fill that form out here? No, you have to go down the hall to this other office and get that form. And I was like, why? Can't, why am I running around one floor of Oakville Town Hall getting just paperwork done to pay a hundred dollar fee? Like I was sitting there going, why isn't why am I not just sitting down with one person who says, okay, fill this out, okay, boom, 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 okay, stamp approved. Here's the you know here's the terminal. Pay your hundred dollar fee, and we're off to the races. Instead, I had to go through like, all these different offices, and I was sitting there like it took me the entire day to get through it. So I, yeah, I mean, I I I get the somebody somewhere said, oh no, we need to make sure people are held accountable, but nobody sat down and said. Is it necessary to do it this way? Is there somebody just kept adding on? Well, it's just they have to get to get to get that. Why don't we just say you, have, you, you pay that fee? You just have to show proof of this. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. But nobody sat down and said, "How do, can't we just do that? We can't just have one person do that." Like it, it was. It was Joel, I love how your mind works. <laughs> I have been. If I, if I ran the world, everything would be a lot better. The city of Burlington. <laughs> But I have been able to do that. That's one nice thing about coming in as a new counselor. Back to the very first question. That's one of the very nice things about being a brand new counselor is I have been spending the last two years when staff say to me, well, this is the way we've always done it. I can innocently literally say, well, why is that? Why is that the best way to do it? Is it the best way to do it? And maybe there's a better way we can do it. And Burlington is now in the midst. And that's thanks in large part to the leadership of our city manager who is creating what's called one window so joel you would yeah. like the one window where you get to talk oh. to one person and that one person should be your point person and they're they're going to flow you through the process without giving you li- the literal right. runaround city hall right right <laughs> you know it, but i was because I, I was thinking like i i was just opening up a small small little rest uh uh restaurant thing and uh i was thinking like how many entrepreneurs are there out there who are like, you know what? I need. To, I I might need to get some store frontage, or I need to go rent a, a a spot to manufacture my widget or whatever. Okay, to do that, I need to go get my business license and go to city hall. And there's enough. There's enough of that. You sit there, it's like, why, why, why? Like, this is just. It's another one of those things that we just turn people off of government. Um, and and I, I have I have such issues with it because. Uh, I love government. I think it's 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 there to work for us, and it can do great things. We've seen it before, time and time again. But it's this it's just this stuff that nobody, you know, we're just we're stuck in this quagmire of just well, that's the way it's been. Um, that does um, not much longer. And that, I believe that does, uh, municipal level, sorry. we should run the finances like a nonprofit and know that we're not spending. We're not spending a company's money; it's people's money. So I think financially we should run like a nonprofit, but everything else we should be running like a business, and it should be customer service. If there was ever a business that ran like you said, Joel, where they gave you the runaround and said you not need to go talk to ten different mm-hmm. departments, you'd go to the next company. There was exactly. no way you put up with that. Exactly, and I love the fact that you made this distinction there with the finances because I mean it's it's a bit of an hoary old cliche that that. Um, that we should run the finances like the business. It's like, no, we're not, but we're not financially. We're not. That's the last thing we are. But in terms exactly. of behaving like a retail uh, institution and the, and the ways that they streamline everything so that they get you from where you want to be buying a pair of shoes to paying for the pair of shoes and getting them in a plastic bag as quickly as possible, in the most efficient way, leaving you feeling as happy as possible. And, and again, I keep on ma- mentioning Dave Meslin because he's my, you know, I'm just, I loved his book so much, but um, yeah, that's just that point of, of so much about government is the messages it sends out, like physically the, the messages that the buildings send out. So the doors send out is go away. You go to a council meeting in any council in Ontario, there'll be a big wooden door that's shut in your face if you go to a council meeting. Uh, um, and uh, it's like, you know, who runs, a, who runs a shop like that, a store like that? You'd never get any customers because you know that 
you see a closed door, you walk away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like body language. You know, we don't want you here, and we 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 know that that's not the way. Uh, increasingly, certainly, uh, politicians think, and and the best staff don't think that way either. Um, but uh, but that's still the message that so often gets sent out. We we have gone uh, right up to our our time limit and and over it. Um, uh, it's, I haven't said it for a few months, but it's another one of those conversations that we could uh, happily I, do. I, the I, I saw two, like five more questions in my head that I just I came up with just now. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> but maybe and, and I, yeah, and I I hope that I mean. Um, you know, listeners wanting to hear us grilling a politician, this is not the episode for them. This is not what this is about. This is about Thank having conversations. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll do that in having... years' time. <laughs> yeah. Okay, fair that, enough. That may happen. Fair enough. Um, but, but I wish there were more opportunity to speak to elected officials about how it actually works because that's the kind of thing you learn that like I learned as a volunteer over years and as a candidate and speaking to people like you. Uh, that our perceptions of politics are so radically different from the kind of practicalities of the day job. Uh, and that there are certainly all kinds of frustrations, but they're not necessarily the frustrations that you think are the Pol- frustrations. Politi- politician, <laughs> Roland, is the only job without a job description. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it, anyway. Th- uh, yeah. it's, and it's a title yeah. that I don't like. Call me a, commu- <laughs> a community builder. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. We need to reclaim it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Councillor Stolte. I should give you your former t- title uh, for, for joining us. Uh, I thoroughly think we both really enjoyed the conversation. And um, as you say, there'll be a time for the political stuff, I'm sure. But um, uh, I, I hope everybody found the subject as interesting as uh, we did. Thank you. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Crier Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.